You're listening to the New York Encounter podcast. The 2023 New York Encounter just wrapped up, and we'd like to thank the over 400 volunteers who came to New York to help make it possible. We also want to thank everyone who made a financial contribution to the New York Encounter this year. And if you haven't, it's not too late. You can always head to newyorkencounter.org donate and contribute today. Good evening. On the Encounter's behalf, welcome everybody. I'm Matteo Tinti, sales manager. I will moderate and speak at this event. I'm very grateful for the presence of Albino Aragno and Ian Ross here tonight. I'm infinitely grateful as their life has saved my sons. I'm going to read their short bios. The full bios are on the Encounter's website. Albino Aragno has over seeing Comunità Cenacola America for 20 years, helping young men and women who are desperately trapped in addiction to find hope and new life through encountering the mercy of God. Growing up in Italy, Albino began using drugs with friends and soon became addicted. After 15 years of addiction, he entered Comunità Cenacolo, where he found the peace and joy of a life centered on the forgiveness and mercy of Jesus. Albino opened the first Cenacolo house in St. Augustine, Florida in 1993. Since then, three more houses opened in the US. Ian Ross graduated from the Franciscan University of Steubenville after spending four years in Comunità Cenacolo. He finished with a degree in elementary and special education, which he used to teach students with disabilities for a year upon his graduation. After teaching in Ohio, he moved back to Florida to be closer to the community and to his family. He is now using his degree to teach preschool in the public school system of St. Augustine, where he now lives. And now we're going to watch a short video that the Cenacolo community has prepared for us for, for this evening. The greatest sickness in our world is the presence of sadness, indifference, and loneliness. The youth today are lost, marginalized, directionless, and addicted. Mother Elvira had hope for those who were desperate. She opened Community Chinacolo in Italy in 1983. Today, there are 72 houses around the world. From the beginning, she wanted to offer the young men a school of life. They came not asking for money. They were asking for life. In a community that describes itself as demanding, we learn we are capable of sacrifice, commitment, and consistency. We have to have calluses on our knees and on our hands. A profound and sincere friendship with him makes you a true friend to those around you, capable of understanding Forgiving, not judging, helping without self-interest, getting past your own disappointments, and always willing to start over. (music) 
The young people discovered that true healing isn't only not using drugs and not doing evil, but is learning to love, serve, and live goodness faithfully. This school of life teaches us freedom born of sacrifice, friendship based on truth, and joy rooted in the cross. Mother Veer trusted that if she welcomed the young people, that God would reveal himself as Father, providing for every need. Only God can fully rebuild our wounded and broken hearts. Only He is stronger than the evil of drugs. Only He satiates the profound search for meaning that led us into the abyss of the dead-end streets of the world. He changes your sadness into joy, your weakness into strength, and your sins into mercy. introduce this meeting by recounting the facts of which I do not report the infinite details out of respect and protection for our son that allowed my family to come to know the friends of the Chinacolo community to whom this meeting is dedicated. My son, a person I'm very, very proud of for many reasons, has sadly made, of use, of, has sadly made use of drugs and almost died at the age of 18. And our son lost nine friends who have died of overdose in the last five years. For him, it all started with an occasional use of marijuana that he would smoke from time to time with school friends, both in middle and high school in the city of Miami, Florida. My wife and I have always been alarmed and tried to understand with him the reason for this use. Eventually, he shared that he would take them because of an unbearable boredom and loneliness. Our family has always been there for him, and despite so many mistakes and shortcomings that we didn't even realize we were making in the past, We've always tried to help him understand how to live happily without censoring the pain deriving from feelings of boredom and loneliness. Part of this help on our part was to encourage opportunities to meet the friends he made, having at heart that these relationships could be supportive of his life. We have also shared this circumstance with our friends who have given us indispensable support to be able to face all the consequences that substance addiction entails. We allowed him to change school twice since he never felt comfortable, and after understanding with him that he preferred to have instead a job, our son quit his studies at 16 in the third year of high school and started to work at a car mechanic shop. Cars are, in fact, his great passion. But in two precise moments of time, both appeared around the anniversary of the sudden death of his paternal grandfather, to whom he was very close. He ended up smoking without fully knowing methamphetamines through a vape, electronic cigarette, which reduced him to a state of psychosis and in danger of death. They call it stronger marijuana on the street, but these are chemical substances manufactured in South American and Chinese laboratories that are increasingly being sold everywhere in this country. If you take too much of these substances, which means you take seven or eight puffs from these vapes instead of three or four, you run the high risk of entering the state of psychosis and dying of overdose. The first time our son took his chemical 
this chemical marijuana to give our son the necessary care. We had him admitted to an excellent hospital in Italy, one of the very few in the world specialized and equipped with psychiatric wards dedicated to minors and managed by a friend of ours. The second time after two years in which he worked in the workshop and the use of substances seemed to be gone, he was, in, he was admitted to the psychiatric wards of the following hospitals, the Jackson Memorial Hospital in Miami and the UF Shands Hospital in Gainesville. To let our son enter the hospitals just mentioned, given he had reached the adult age, 18 years, he would need to enter voluntarily. And finding himself in those moments in a state of psychosis, when asked to go and be seen by a doctor, he would, be, he would then become violent to the point of threatening to kill us or commit suicide. The only way out in this case is the Baker Act that allows the involuntary hospitalization and examination of an individual, though there must be evidence that the person possibly has a mental illness, which wasn't the case of our son, or is in danger of becoming a harm to self or others, or is self-neglectful, which was the case of our son. Examinations may last up to 72 hours after a person is deemed medically stable. I do not wish for anyone to ever need to call 911 to have the police come and take your child away from home because he has become a danger to himself and his family. And just 72 hours was the duration of his hospitalization at both, at both facilities in Florida because he was considered mentally stable. The six days in total for both examinations were billed to us for $37,000 with no possibility of coverage. As in the US, if you're hospitalized because of the use of drugs, no health insurance provides any support. And it was also evident that being quote unquote mentally stable was not enough to keep our son from using marijuana anyway. He came out of both hospitals with the same prescriptions, antipsychotics and antidepressants, together with an outpatient rehab made up, made up of sessions with the psychiatrist once a month, the psychologist once a week. It took us over a month to get the first outpatient appointment, an appointment those doctors failed to attend because of lack of personnel. Moreover, at home, it was increasingly noticeable that when he was not in a state of psychosis kept quote unquote under control by the, by the prescribed drugs, instead of being altered and violent, he was as if turned off like a zombie. So much pain, so much pain our son suffered when he went into psychosis with a very strong migraines and his own realization that he was no longer in control of himself. So much pain that we parents suffered in seeing him suffer like this without being able to help him. So much pain. My wife and I almost complete, were almost completely desperate, almost completely because our friends were there. And with them, and thanks to them, our faith was still alive. I would like to <clears throat> wholeheartedly thank, together with all our dear relatives and co-workers, Enrico, Eddie, Miriam, Jose Pedro, Vicky, Jonathan, Porto, Vanessa, Yup. Luca, Desa, Lilly, Elena, Ricky, Patrick, Macco, Letizia, Paltro, Sappa, Luca, Cristina, Giovanni, for the comfort and affection without which we would have sunk into a bottomless abyss. And I also thank all the friends of our community in Miami and other cities who gradually, hearing the news, prayed and remained a step back, allowing order to the constant support we received. So much grace we experienced inside the drama we were called to live. Prayers have become, and still are today, the, oxygens, the oxygen of our days.
Then my friends Enrico Nose Pedro mentioned a place called the Cenacolo, a rehab center with the peculiarity that is a work that originates within the mother church. We had many questions about that place, though we could not fail to at least try. I got in contact with the community and the same day I was able to speak with Albino, who's here next to me today. And after a phone, a phone conversation, he says, bring your son here as soon as you can. We're waiting for you. The following morning, crossing a very dark and rainy weather, we finally reached a remote place about four and a half uh, hours drive from our home. Once I park the car, some young adults greet us and take us to Albino, who immediately focuses on my son, who had, in his, hand, who had his hands in his pockets and a dark gaze. Albino approaches him by saying, Welcome. I can see you're not well. I know what you've done. You have taken substances and you've sent everyone into a big crisis. Let me see what's in your pockets. My son, frozen by Albino's fixed gaze upon him, takes out a pack of cigarettes and his mobile phone. Come on, give them both to me. We don't use them here and we'll show you that you don't need them. Come, I'll show you around the place where we live. Albino ta then takes us around their facility and I'm immediately amazed by the beauty of the place and the faces of those people who have welcomed us. It is a beauty easy to notice that the easy to notice that derives from a care that these people have for themselves and for everything that exists. I see orders, cleanliness, and harmony, an atmosphere of peace, which reminds me of monasteries. Suddenly, this beautiful moment is interrupted by Albino, who turns around and says to me in a low voice, as I told you earlier, now you must leave and go back home. You, we will take care of your child. You will see him twice a year, and if you don't hear anything, it means that everything is going well. I feel a strong tug, but I understand with my heart that I need to allow this detachment to help my son. I turn around, walk to the car, and leave. I only quickly meet my son's gaze from inside the car, and then in an instant I find myself outside the community. Upon my departure from that place, the very last exchange with Albino was when I asked him, what can I leave or do to support the expenses you will have related to our son? He replies, we live of the divine providence. You have already given us the greatest gift, your son. He will work with us <clears throat> on the construction of this work. Sorry. Um, you just pray for us, and if you can, let other people know about our community so that more kids can be saved. The following day with my wife, we realized that there is a very, a very strange peace at our home. Albino had in fact also told us, you'll see that it will, it will go well. We offer your son a life, a life that is lived in the light of our faith. For this reason, my wife and I gradually felt the growing certainty that this place is an opportunity for true salvation for our son and for our family. Inside this very dramatic circumstance, we've started seeing someone's plan of salvation for many, starting from us, Many are the people who encounter in the Cenacolo community begin to desire, or begin to desire more, the impact of faith on all aspects of life. In the last 13 months, we have seen our dear son only two times, both times for the duration of a weekend. It was impressive to see him in, in him a reborn desire, <clears throat> desire to live a healthy and meaningful life. And we too have been reborn by this hope deriving from this kind of friendship that we know will never end, Yes, because we have discovered that towards feelings of boredom and loneliness, 
Wild substances lying so promise to eliminate the pain by tearing away an ever greater part of oneself. What is needed instead is the embrace of that pain that only one can give. And today, thanks to my son's life, I'm, I'm much more aware of the relationship with the mystery that makes all things and gives us this life as it is. Therefore, I come to realize that God is the only true substance of my life and every person's life. God is the only true substance. And as an unexpected consequence, our renewed desire to be in God's companionship that has the face of Jesus visible through the face of many old and new friends, like the ones at the Chenaculo communities, this relationship makes us more father and mother than ever before. We are so grateful and full of joy for this salvation, which has a precise face, and that is increasingly reflected in the one of our son. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the New York Encounter podcast. The New York Encounter is a three-day cultural event that takes place every President's Day weekend in Manhattan. Every year, we bring together speakers, put on exhibits, and host musical shows, offering opportunities for education, dialogue, and friendship. Following St. Paul's suggestion to test everything and retain what is good, the Encounter aims to discover, affirm, and offer to everyone truly human expressions of the desire for truth, beauty, and justice. To learn more about the New York Encounter, visit newyorkencounter.org. Thank you, Matteo. Uh, the desperation of a family, uh, the desperation to have a son, uh, that have been problems, and that's also so the reason why Mother Riviera many years ago opened Comunità Cenacolo, because she's so desperate. She saw people that were struggling, they were lost, unhappy, and Chenacolo started like that 40 years ago from a nun, Sister Rivera Petrozzi, that uh, she had a real desire to do something for those desperate. And, uh, you know, she was not prepared. She didn't study like me either. And she was not a, a psychologist. Or, uh, so they made her wait a long time in, co in the comment, the idea that she had, the desire that she had to open something for the, for the poor in those days. They were like talking about 40 years ago, 1983. So it was the beginning of the 70s, uh, the experiment. And I was uh, of those generations starting using drugs, you know, something different. We were want to be different, we want to be unique, uh, rebellious, uh, there is all the ideology. Uh, and, uh, and so that's why I see the convent made the you know, superiors made her wait because she, you're not competent. On paper, she wasn't. And she waited and waited until the moment that she could not do it anymore. And then she left with another sister and another lay person and found an abandoned house in Saluzzo, North Italy, Piedmont, really close to the mountain. And, uh, and I come from the same area, Savigliano next door, like uh, 10 minutes away. But anyway, she opened the community and without having a, the idea clear program, you know, in a way. So there was no like, a, but she just opened and see, 
start working, cleaning this old abandoned villa on top of the hill. And, uh, you know, with uh, little by little, young people came. And uh, so that's how I started, working. And then the, the sister, she was praying. And so some of the young people, you know, the work has always been an essence in community. Ora et labora, get your hands dirty, you know? You know, the desire, so like rebuilding the house, help also rebuilding our own self. But uh, it was the beginning like that, I see, even the young people at the beginning, they saw, she was praying the Psalms, like sisters do, you know, morning, evening. And, uh, you know, the young people also start praying. So that's become a part of the community, Chanakolo, the daily community, the day of community. And, uh, you know, that was the beginning. In simplicity, and also she immediately trusted in God in providing divine providence, really. She made like a, almost a deal with God. I am here, I will do everything I can to help those young people, but you need to do your part. Like a trusting in faith. And see, it was amazing that everything started, uh, like uh, sometimes when she was telling us in the early days, I entered in 1990 in community, so the community was born seven years, was only seven years old. And, uh, and she was just always telling us a story that, uh, you know, little by little, some people were coming, uh, we need the sand, the cement, because we need to fix the driveway. We need, uh, uh, we need to, the gas to provide and to cook, you know, like for the stove. And then, uh, you know, little, they pray more, and then uh, the gas company came over there and filled up the tank. So a story of miracles that uh, touch every day. And that also was, uh, has been also the journey. Think about also the people coming in community addicts, you know, addicts. We were, uh, just to give you a description of an addict person, liar, manipulator, don't trust anything in anybody. Always have the eyes in the front and the back because you need to always watch your back. And, you know, so, and then they come in community with the gift that there is or the chapel, or the prayer. So you see that people come lost, uh, you know, completely without life, and then little by little, that is the rebirth. You are reborn completely. Strip down from the old man and rebuild the new person. You know, like a rebuilding a house, you know, you begin to fix it little by little, and then you make it better. And that's the same also for us coming in community. So that's how it started. And then, uh, you know, the first house was full. And she was thinking, you know, we're going to fill up this place. It's going to be it. You know, it's not like I see it, the thinking, oh, the community is going to spend. And then there was a need to open the second house. Because one house was full. So and then the second house. And then they opened the third house. And then the fourth house. The fifth house. So little by little, I remember I entered in 1990, and we have had seven houses. Now, 30 years, over, you know, 40 years later since the beginning, we have 75 houses all over in Italy, in Europe, in America, in South America, in Africa, in the Philippines. So it's like uh, the work 
that started from uh, this little nun expanded. Because it's not only her work, it's a work of God. And it's a work of faith. So to tell you about me, I entered in community at 33 years old, lost, unhappy, uh, travel, discover life, try every drugs you can find. I was also having a life that, uh, you know, the double life. You know, the life of desperation, of rebellious, and then try to keep it together, also working, because in our family, in my family, if you don't work, you know, there's no space over there, you know. So there was, work was important, you know, really. My mom and dad, you know, so always try to keep it together. But then the keeping together collapsed, little by little. I traveled a lot, uh, I, you know, hippie, ideology, you name it, you know, against everything and everybody. And then I enter in community, lost. No life inside and outside. And when I enter in community, you know, and there was also no believing in anything against the church, all the ideology, so completely opposite, you know. And if I think about that now I am speaking here with communion and liberazione, that in my early days, it was like the opposite. And look at the, the turnaround, now coming and speaking here, and be very grateful. <laughs> so that is the 360 degrees, you know? Really, because you cannot only just do part, you need to do it all, you know? So it's amazing, you know, just to think about. But anyway, when I enter in community, after the beginning, which is, you know, you're sick still, in the mind, in the body, you know? Heroin for many years, traveled to India, uh, you know, also Thailand, you know, all the South America. In many places I came later as a missionary. I was before as an addict. So think about also this, another turnaround. So, and after a while, you know, I really felt home. You know, feeling home. You know, feeling that I am arrived. I am arrived in a place that, uh, you know, stripped from my old man completely and little by little rebuilt, you know? And so the journey in my commu in community was for the first three years in Europe, uh, in Italy, in Medjugorje, we opened, I was in Medjugorje in the early days, and then I was sent in different houses in Italy, and then at one point there was an opportunity to come to the United States, which, in my previous life, I hated the United States, with respect, you know? Uh, against the, you know, the consumism, you know, all the ideology again. And then I was in the States, I was the one that said, yes, I want to go. You know, there's an opportunity to open the community in America, they invite us to come to the United States in San Agustin, Florida. And they say, echo me, here I am. A missionary, I came in a missionary in 19, 94, early 94, and February, actually, yesterday, was 29 years that I arrived in the States, the seven servants. So, anyway, I came in, in the United States to open the, the community in San Agustin, which bring with seven Italians without speaking much English, especially in, in Florida, you know, like south, in the south. <laughs> so... Every time you were answering the phone, what, what did you say? No community, not understanding. We were trying to build the house, also. it was really a conflict. 
Anyway, so that thanks be to God, I found my wife, it was my English teacher. <laughs> so that was a great improvement. <laughs> P- pretty much because I really care about the teacher, <laughs> not about English. The English, I learned it anyway, you know. So when I, when I came to, uh, in San Agustin, so to open the, the fraternity over there, Our Lady of Hope, so it was a great struggle, you know. Americans, they were coming and going just because the proposal of the community was very strict, disciplined, uh, no phone, no uh, television, no free time, no power tools, a lot of hard work in south of Florida in the summertime, really 100 degrees outside working in the garden or pouring concrete, really hard work. So the proposal was really counterculture. America is comfortable. You know, we, have a, we live in a comfortable society compared to other countries, you know, in a way. So it's like a, a community proposing the uncomfortable, which is really not the, what people like it, especially the addicts in the first place. So the beginning was a struggle, but I remember Mother Vera was coming, and every time I was telling her, I'm very practical also, I was telling her, probably, I don't think they're going to make it here. It's not like a... You know, we were not welcome because the church welcomed us. The divine providence also was providing for us. Food was coming, people were bringing. So they were believing in something that the people would see something, but they just the people were not staying, the young people they were not staying. And she always said, even once they, we are not moving from there. We are not here for success on paper, but we are here for the one. And one is important. And then little by little she was right, because uh, then one house was full, and we opened the second house, and then the third, and the fourth, and also we opened up the girl's house, eventually. The last house, you know, the, the third house was Santa Maria Goretti. That's where I lost all my hair. <laughs> Just to give you an idea, because I used to have a nice curly hair. <laughs> That's why my wife found me, nice curly hair. But anyway, that's I lost my hair over there, but, and also has been a lot of joy. So the four houses were open, and Americans come and stay. We send them in Europe. We have had missionary in places, and it's been a great journey. A journey that you touch it, you live it, and you see it. You know, we are not a program. If you ask me what is your program, I don't know it. What is your agenda? I don't know it. I don't have it. What is, uh, what is your day tomorrow? If I plan a day tomorrow, it won't happen because something else is going to happen in our community. That is the emergency of the moment. And also, if I would be an engineer, I would have been going crazy because we are not, you know, it's impossible in community, uh, anything happen. And, uh, and there is such a full life. You know, a full life that uh, only is only is the work of God. And also the most important part of all of it is like really what sustains us at the prayer time. The first room that we, op- we, we fix in one house, when we have a new fraternity and we see it, or there is a new house we're going to open, somebody invite us, somebody found the house, whatever, whatever we are, the first room that we fix is the chapel. We picked the best room and became a chapel. And that's where we bring the Blessed Sacrament. And that's where we pray the rosary every, three times a day. 
That's where we have mass, that's where we have prayer time. That's what is sustained the whole community. And that also keeps everybody not to kill each other. <laughs> Think about also the population that we have. You know, we have many Lorenzo, which is young, 18. But we also, Ian also came also young. But we also some that are 30, 40 years old, 20 years addiction, some they come jail in and out, you name it, story. Each one has got its own story, you know? And so, tough, you know, that you need to really, there is like a shell in front of them to go in. You need to go in community like with a two by four, but not hitting, you know, but in a way hard and strict and direct. And, and that also, but you see the beauty. Because in community, I can tell you that we don't have much having police coming in community, really. It's a miracle. Even the police department in town really respect us a lot because, because like we are prayer. That's why we are God, you know, that sustain. And then also, I cannot tell you about the divine providence, what is doing and what we see every day. We are able to eat in every community houses every day. Think about how many, maybe 1,500 people every day. We don't go to the grocery store. We eat, and also a great part also the faith, concrete faith. Use what you have and stay without what you don't have. What a great teaching. We spoiled. That was one of them, too. Spoiled, and in the beginning of the community, you learn how to eat everything. And be grateful and say thank you every day. So it's like a special time. Special, and I don't want to tell you that is, everything is always great, because it's not. And that we are perfect? No, you know, definitely not. But also it's just like um, so amazing to see what a simple yes of a sister that nobody even <laughs> believed in her, you know? <laughs> and what she was able to do. Really, to me, it's always uh, uh, make me broken, no broken, you know, filled my heart completely just to see what a simple yes can do. And the community not only stop to helping the young people, drugs, alcohol, you know, the young people, but also many branches of the community develop throughout the years. We have also priests coming from the community. We have sisters, non-service in South America or in Africa, in the missions, the girls of the community, that they want them more. They want to give themselves, always, and say the yes to God and to serve in the community. Missionary, they come, they go serving for two or three years. Like I came to America. I never thought I would have lived in America. I became an American. I'm very grateful, and I love America. When before, he didn't care about, you know? So God has got a plan, and God has got the more that sometimes you just need to trust it, you know, completely. And so that is, I'm very grateful. Thank you. And thank you for inviting us. Thank you, Dina. You are listening to the New York Encounter podcast. The Encounter is entirely volunteer-run and donation-funded, and as you probably realize, it takes a lot of money every year to put it on. What that means is that if you want The Encounter to continue its work, we need your help. 
head on over to newyorkencounter.org donate and consider making a monthly donation to sustain the encounter in its work. Thank you for your support. Thank you, Albino. Ian, it's your turn to share your story with us. Take your time. Hello. Um, my name's Ian. Hi, everyone. I'm a, uh, a client, if you will, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, in Italia we have the sign. <laughs> no, client, no. I was in the community um, 2012 to 2016. And uh, yeah, I'll try to go a little bit, not all over the place here, but I'll start at the beginning. Um, I was born to a very Catholic family. Grew up around the faith, around the church. My parents were very, very strict. Um, and uh, my mom was a very, they just, they had a very rigid structure at home. Um, rules to follow, ways to act. Um, so we grew up always getting in trouble, me and my brother and sister. There was so many lines you don't cross, we, we cross so many. And um, so it all started, I think, for me getting older, about like, maybe like seventh, middle school, middle school. Um, now come the things that everybody wants to do and invite me to and that I want to go to and like I'm not allowed because I don't know that parent because mom doesn't know that parent. But um, over time, just having to hear the word no all the time, um, it really weighed on me. I'd go to school, kids are talking about movies that I'm not allowed to watch or like that they went to this kid's house that I wasn't allowed to go to. So I feel like missing out a lot. Um, for me, over time, that turned into resentment towards my parents and that turned into uh, rebelliousness in the end. So I grew up making, you know, trying to make my classmates laugh as the rebelliousness in me started, it would get worse. Like it turned into from class clown behavior to like reckless behavior. And all that did was upset my parents, which upset me because they're upset. So it's just like started this whole snowball effect of just like this terrible relationship between me and my family. Um, so this rebellious attitude, we'll call it, in me just kept growing. My decisions kept getting riskier. Um, and then in high school, when I was 14, freshman, that was the first time I experimented with pot. Um, I didn't know how to really do it at the time, so I didn't, like, nothing really happened, but, uh, but it was, like, the first exposure. And then uh, a couple years passed, and, like, I drank a few times, but um, I remember when I was 17, I tried pot again, and it worked. And I thought it was the craziest, coolest thing ever. It was so fun, everything was funny. And like, I just immediately got like sucked in to like, I wanna feel like this all the time. This is so fun, I have to have this all the time. Um, and uh, so I did, I had it all the time. I bought it all the time. Um, I was a freshman in high school, so I didn't have funds. So that leaded to stealing from my parents. Um, and like the worse these behaviors get, the easier, the even worse ones are to commit, I guess. So the drug choice became harder and harder, it got worse, and then 
Before I knew it, I was getting kicked out of high school, um, failing college, failed my first shot at university, and then in this span of time is when I heard about community the first time. I have a very close friend of mine, Dante, who uh, we've been friends since sixth grade, and I remember one day he was just like, oh, I gotta go, I'm going to Croatia. Uh, to the community house in Medjugorje. And then I didn't know, I said, what is Croatia? Like, what do you, eh. so he's like, it's this community. And imagine trying to explain that video in like 10 seconds. So I didn't listen, I didn't understand. I was just like, okay, later, like, I'll see you when you get back. He left, um, and then when he got back, a year and a half later, he was a totally changed person. It was totally different. Um, and it really threw me off. Because I'm like, where's my friend? You're totally different. Meanwhile, I'm still just getting worse. Um, so eventually it got to the point where I just had to go into community. Um, I moved into his house because our parents are family friends. And uh, their condition was like, you have to go check out the community. And I said, oh, okay, if you let me live here, I'll go check it out. And uh, I went and checked it out, came back, didn't go. So then I was out on the street again because it was a, you have to stay there to live with us. So um, eventually this life went on that way. It got too much. Um, and then I had no other choice basically but to enter community. I was living in my car by the end, couldn't eat. My like stomach was so messed up. Whatever I did eat just came out later, whatever. Like it was just like not, I couldn't handle it anymore. So I remember saying, going to my parents' house, and telling them I'm coming to community. They were skeptical at best. Um, and then I entered, and I remember when I first interacted with community, it was Albino on the phone. Do you even remember this? I don't know. This is, this is like 10 years ago, but I talked to him on the phone, and he's like, what's your problem? And then I was like, what is your problem? Like, I didn't say that, but I thought that. Um, <laughs> So it was the start of a great friendship. I didn't say it, I thought it, but uh, anyway, I'm like, this is happening, whatever. Fast forward, I'm in community now, and, um, and uh, it was really great that you used that word uncomfortable earlier because I was uncomfortable, I think I can say, for four years straight <laughs> every day. Um, and at first, it was a very bad uncomfortable. Like, I was irritable, I was off drugs, I have people my own age telling me to stay in silence because I'm too prideful, and I don't believe in God. We're, we're praying three times a week, I mean, a day. <laughs> three times a day on our knees, my knees hurt really bad. I don't, uh, I don't really care whiny, for what we're whiny. doing. <laughs> so it was just a lot of uncomfortable waking up at 6 a.m. every day and going straight to work. And like it was not Florida yet, but it was Alabama and it was October. It was getting starting to get cold and like just going straight out to work in the cold. Um, it was not great for me. Uh, but I did have my guardian angel who if you enter community, you get paired with a guy who's been there for a while and he kind of basically shows you the ropes. And uh, he's my best friend to this day. We now live 10 minutes from each other. Um, but he was my support through that entire uncomfortable period. And uh, I finally figured out how to live and like get along with no phone, no computer. Um, you can't talk about certain things, of course. Um, the prayer and uh, 
it really started, like, I started to feel something with the prayer, and that was, like, huge for me, because, like, outside, like, if you've got a problem, you smoke weed, like, it's, it fixes the problem to a lot of people, but I didn't have weed, I didn't have the TV, I didn't have an Xbox, um, I had nothing to escape with, and there was only one place to go, and it was the chapel, because usually it, I would be also upset with a lot of my brothers, so I couldn't go to them either, so... That's where it started for me. Um, it was very, like my faith, I'll say, was very young when I got transferred to Italy, which I know there's a lot of Italians here. You have a beautiful country. I love it. Um, but yeah, so like I transferred to Italy and then it was like the worst crash ever. Like I got there and I was so excited. I'm like, I'm moving forward in community. My faith is growing, blah, blah, blah. And I get there, we're at this huge fest um, basically a community's birthday, uh, and like I'm there, there's beautiful girls, there's food everywhere, there's music, my friends are here, we just traveled an international flight, I'm like, I love community, this is so good, and then the fest ended, the, the pretty girls left, um, <laughs> the food trucks were no more, and I was up on this, basically a shack on the top of a hill, with, thir <laughs> with 13 other dudes, and, uh, and, and then I hated Italy for a time, and I had no faith again for a time. Uh, and I really thought, this, is, this was huge for me, I really thought I knew what it was like to live in poverty, because no phone, no car, whatever. But then I moved to a country where I don't have my own language anymore, my own sense of humor, it's different there. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's just like there I really, truly, truly learned what it meant to have nothing. Because even if I wanted to like talk with somebody, there was an American there, but he was just as far out as I was. So um, I really had to really dive into my faith there. Uh, and the chapel, I, like I can't go into too much detail. I'll take too much time. I talk a lot. Um, but... Fast forward a little bit, I'm starting to really like get into my faith and uh, I was still getting in trouble all the time for doing stuff I'm not supposed to do, so much so that my responsible at the time told me that you are not allowed to stay at this house anymore during the work hours. You're coming with me to the mother house to work and you're going to work side by side with me. And I was like, okay, whatever, man, like, I'll go. And uh, Man, he was so hard to work under. Like, everything I did was wrong. Like, we worked with cement because construction's in cement over there. And then there was another, like, it was just so much humble pie I ate for so long. Like, you can't do it this way. Like, arguing, don't argue with me. Like, and I was in a really bad, like, mental state, or like, what felt like a really bad mental state, but really I was like right there, like right at the perfect moment, like where I was, where something finally was gonna click for me. So we were at the mother house and there's this priest walking around and he tells, there's like, you know, like those people that you kind of just have a feeling about that like I can talk to this guy. Um, I had that feeling with him, so I ditched work to go find him and talk to him. And we went to the chapel and did confession and I don't remember how long it was, but it was at least an hour that we sat there. A lot of it was in silence, but I really just, 
really just wanted to rack my brain and think of every, every possible thing I could have done. And then we closed with a moment of silence just to make sure there was nothing else. And when it's time for absolution, I think he's going to be like, man, like, I don't know what I can do for you. But, uh, <laughs> but the response was just like, I had, man, I had told that guy things that obviously I'll never repeat to anybody else. Um, and I was not expecting the response I got. It was just, it's okay. And I'm waiting for more, and nothing more came. He's just like, it's okay. God still loves you. And, uh, and it was in that moment where, like, I just spewed so much evil towards this priest that I've done, and it was met with such a simple gesture of welcoming and love um, that that's really where it clicked for me, that I realized that God loves me. My life can be used for something good, like I can live for something good. So anyway, we finished confession. I got in trouble for ditching work, um, but I was smiling. Like I felt so different. And then the next two and a half years of community were so much better. They were all uncomfortable, um, but a good uncomfortable because like I would have to, I, I was guardian angel for a guy who was withdrawing from heroin, cold turkey. So I was in Florida at this time and we were in a small little RV, not insulated under the beating sun. And he is in there with the heat lamp with a full blanket. It must've been 200 degrees in there. And I am sweating, just sitting on the bed next to him while he withdraws, cause I'm there for him like my guardian angel was there for me and that was so um, but I was happy doing it. Like, the, it just changed. And the common denominator for me through this entire thing, four years, was God. Um, even though I couldn't care less at the beginning, all the way through it was the prayer. It was three days, three times a day, rosary, and then some. Like, it wasn't just the rosary every day. But for four years, every day, just like all this prayer and like, no, I don't pray three rosaries a day and the divine mercy at the end of the day anymore, but I have a relationship with God now and I have to, it's a muscle and you need to work that. That's so cliche, sorry, but it is. If you don't nurture your faith um, after community, it's like anything, it's maintenance, like it'll just die. And as it dies, my quality of life goes back to how it was before. Um, and in those moments, it was really great to hear your testimony, Mateo, because like I'm on the other end of that testimony. And I've heard my parents, but like they're your parents. You want to hear like, um, you want to hear other people's too. Uh, and like, if you don't nurture that, my quality of life returns slowly to the way it was before I got to community. And while that happens, I think about your testimony or what my parents have said, or I just like think about my mom, like how happy she is now and like how I cannot mess that up again. So that's the, that's the worldly reason to get back into my faith. And then I go and like, I go to the chapel and I like, often, often my mind is racing, but I'm just like sitting there as like a gesture, like I'm here, man, just like help me a little bit, please. And if I didn't have that, uh, well, I, I wouldn't be at this table. Um, but the one most important thing for me 
has been the prayer since I left. Um, I went straight to Franciscan University basically after community, which was a very difficult decision. I was not ready to leave Florida for the Ohio Valley. Um, <laughs> and uh, I don't have any intentions to revisit the Ohio Valley after, <laughs> after being back in Florida. But like, um, it was a good, like, a big thing in community was trust. Like, you don't need to know the schedule, just trust it's gonna be okay. And then they're like, you should go to the Ohio Valley. And I was like, well, you haven't steered me wrong, community. Like, not in four years, so I can trust a little more. Um, and there I met some lifelong friends. But again, like, I met, like, sitting in the classes, there were philosophy and theology, and, like, I could see how into it, like, all those kids were. And kids, they're kids to me, because I was, like, almost 10 years older than all of them. But... Um, I had no clue where I, what I was hearing. I didn't, couldn't wrap my head around the philosophy. I couldn't, un, like they use a lot of big vocab. So I was like, man, uh, it was hard a lot of the time for that. So like, what am I gonna do? I can't participate in these discussions to the extent that I would like to. Um, but the prayer got me through that too. Um, and like, if I, it's just that has been the biggest thing for me, has been trust and prayer. Um, it, it got me through feeling, even in Franciscan University, I felt isolated, like I couldn't relate to a lot of the people. Um, but, you know, I don't know, I don't really know how else to explain it better, but it's just like, if you don't maintain what it is that changed your life, it's you, you, you don't maintain it, you're not gonna keep it. Um, so that's been huge for me, and the support like-minded people, um, and it's just brought me like, man, entering that community has brought me so much good in my life. Like my relationship with God and my family, I'm sitting at this table, which I really don't even know what's going on still. Like, um, so it's been, it's been a long journey, but it's been a great one, and I am looking forward to the rest of my life, and, uh, that's it. I mean, that's it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the New York Encounter podcast. We hope you liked what you heard. If you did, please consider posting a review on whatever platform you listen on. Those reviews really help the podcast reach more listeners. If you share the podcast on social media, please tag the New York Encounter. On Twitter, we're at NY Encounter.